This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Launchpad on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Launchpad here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Carl Ulrich. I'm Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School. I co-host Launchpad with Rob Conybeer, who is Managing Director of Shasta Ventures, and we switch off hosting duties. This year, we've been mostly doing things by Zoom, which has worked really great, but let's jump right in. My first guest for today's show, joining me by Zoom, is Keith Belling. Keith is the founder of Pop Chips and his most recent company, Right Rice, a next generation rice brand that launched in February of 2019. Keith, thanks for joining us. Well, hello there. Um, you know, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on your show. All right. Well, first things first, let's make sure our listeners have got your, your brand right. So it's, uh, it's a real nice domain, rice, uh, <laughs> even as I say that. <laughs> there you go. Okay. It's right rice, and that's right as in R-I-G-T, as in correct. So the right rice, rightrice.com, and you can just go there and check it out. So Keith, give us the elevator pitch. What's right rice? Ah, well, let's see. Um, so we found a way to create a shelf-stable veggie rice that's packed with nutritious veggies like lentils and chickpeas, a um, little bit of green pea and a bit of rice that actually looks and tastes like rice. Um, it has you know, more than double the protein, five times the fiber, about 40% less net carbs than a bowl of white rice. Super easy to cook. As I like to say, it's so easy, even I can't screw it up. Uh, let's see, and it comes in, uh, in five flavors, original, uh, ready to be seasoned your way. And then we have a handful of already seasoned flavors like Spanish and garlic herb and uh, my favorite, which happens to be lemon pepper. Um, and and it's, our, it's all already seasoned, so there's no mystery packet of seasoning. Uh, comes in a seven-ounce pouch. We're in, you know, uh, many of the top retailers across the U.S., like Whole Foods, Kroger stores and banners um, on Amazon. And we just launched at all the Kava restaurants across the country. All right. Well, let's let's drill down a little bit on the product. It it You call it a rice, and it looks like rice, but it, it's not technically a grain. So tell us how it actually, what, what the actual composition of the product is. And, how, and roughly speaking, how do you make it? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so it's, it's technically not rice, um, but it is, uh, we, we like to call it a next generation rice. It's actually, a, if you held it in your hand, you would think it's a, a, a shelf stable, small grain of rice that's actually made from vegetables. And, you know, we found a way to, you know, to pack in that little grain, as I was saying, the lentils, the chickpeas, the green peas, and a little bit of rice. All right. Well, I'll tell you the timing is perfect. And I did just go on Amazon and buy uh, two assortments uh, to try it out, and and the timing is perfect because last night I'm on Twitter and somebody is tweeting photos of Hainan chicken, also known as chicken rice, a favorite dish in Singapore. And I thought, yeah, but I don't eat rice, and I really want that. And then lo and behold, here comes white rice. So tell me, first of all, why? What what is the aversion to to white rice? To kind of ask the obvious question, and then why why is this better? from a consumer standpoint? Sure, so it's not so much an aversion. Look, I, I love rice. It's one of my favorite foods. 
rice is probably one of the most beloved foods around the world. Uh, you know, you pretty look at every culture and ethnicity, they have a, they have a favorite rice and that's, what's amazing about it. Um, for me, I found myself, I had been cutting back on rice over a number of years because of the empty calories and the carbs. And I was just eating a lot less than I used to. And so I, you know, I thought there had to be something better. And, you know, like every good entrepreneur, you know, I you know, figured that maybe I could find a way. The products that were out there on the market as rice alternatives, you know, like cauliflower rice, you know, as, as one of my friends said, you know, that just didn't scratch the itch. It's, it's yeah. a, I think cauliflower is a great vegetable. I don't think it really is a great rice. And so if you're, you know, if you're trying to cut back on carbs, if you're trying to get more protein in your diet and more fiber, you know, we found a way to deliver, you know, something that really does look and taste like rice that delivers really on that nutritional profile you're looking for. Um, and also like super easy to cook. Uh, it cooks like couscous. Um, you know, really it's, it's just that simple. Um, you boil water, you pour in the right rice, you let it take it off the heat, you let it sit for about 10 minutes and it's ready. Um, so, so it really delivers on something very different nutritionally. It's super easy to cook. And, you know, for people that are looking for, you know, more, as I said, more protein, more fiber and less carbs, it kind of strikes the right balance. Okay. Well, I, I did go ahead and, and, and check out a few reviews online, but why don't I let you tell me, uh, how does it taste and what do people say about the taste? I, I get that the mouthfeel and the appearance is going to be very similar to rice, but, but how does it taste? What's the taste experience? You know, like, look, look, everybody doesn't like everything, but I'm happy to say most people that try it think it's a lot like rice and tastes like rice. I mean, one of the things that makes rice such a special dish, and again, the reason it's so popular across so many cultures and cuisines, is that it absorbs flavors and sauces like no other product. And, and our product absorbs flavors and sauces like a champ. So people can really cook their favorite dish, whether it's a paella or a gumbo, you know, that uh, we did, we recently did some stuff with jollof rice. I mean, it really takes on flavor and sauce as well and super versatile. You know, you can make arancinis. So anything you can make with rice, you can make with right rice. So it's super versatile, tastes like rice, looks like rice. And again, but at the same time delivers this really um, terrific nutritional profile. Yeah. All right. Well, tell us how you got into this. What's the origin story of right rice? So, um, look, the things that I have tended to do in my in my career come from a place of passion, you know, something that I'm passionate about. I started Pop Chips um, because I was eating too many Doritos. I love potato chips. I was eating a lot of Doritos. I thought there had to be something better. And I started searching the snack aisle. And when I saw there wasn't something better, I, you know, I did what every good entrepreneur does. You find a way to do it yourself. And when it came to right rice, um, I had I had brought in some some folks to run Pop Chips some years ago. Um, I got I had a chance to work on some really fun companies and some ventures that I enjoyed. But I always knew in the back of my mind there was probably one more Pop Chips in me. But as I said, I'm not a flick the switch kind of entrepreneur. I'm I'm sure you talk to lots of folks who finish one company and they get on to the next one. I I, I marvel at those folks. For me, it takes so much passion and. And, and it's so much about something that's personal that it really has to happen. It's a little bit more serendipitous. And in this case, I, you know, about two and a half years ago, I guess, I started realizing how much less rice I was eating. And again, it's one of my favorite foods. I'd seen myself that I'd been cutting back. And when I started, you know, talking to people in my circle and asking folks about it, I was surprised how common the response was that either people were eating a lot less rice, no rice at all, 
or one of the real common responses was, you know, it's the only kid, it's the only food my kids will eat. I just wish it were more nutritious. So, so I, you know, I, I, that was, that was my inspiration. You know, it's, it's really fun when you do something new and that spark goes because it can happen really quickly. And that, and that's how this was. It was like a, you know, like a, like a Monday night, I sort of had the idea. I woke up Tuesday, I jumped on my computer, I started researching, putting some thoughts together, thinking about how I could actually do it. And by the following week, Monday, um, I, I was on the phone with our manufacturing partner, laying out the idea and realizing it was really something we could do. So it was, it was really exciting to come together. All right. Well, I want to, I want to take you back a little bit because it, in many ways, even in terms of the way the the branding is formed, it looks like right rice follows to some extent the Pop Chips playbook. And so I wonder if you could go back to Pop Chips and tell us, actually, I guess the first question is to what extent is that true? And then I guess the second question is, how, what did it take to develop that Pop Chips playbook? That is, was Pop Chips also a something you just was a straight line from beginning to end or in fact did you have to learn a ton about how to do this and then when right rice came around it was a much easier much easier the second time around sorry that was such an ill-formed question but I'm no, basically I got, asking, I, yeah all right so you get it yeah i, I think i think i got it well right. so first of all look to the extent there's similarities that probably reflects my taste and my style mm-hmm. um I think, you know, when you sort of, you know, have something in your DNA and a way you like to do things, there's probably some amount of similarity, but I think ultimately the branding and the packaging and everything is pretty different. Again, it's the snack aisle versus the, versus the rice aisle. Um, but, but what I, what I would say in terms of how they were developed and how it happened, um, pop chips was, 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 was a bit different. I had the idea that I wanted to do something in the snack aisle. I really knew there was an opportunity for a healthier, you know, a better tasting, healthier snack. And, and in that case, my insight was that I really needed a different paradigm to communicate to the consumer because it was, it was a really clearly segmented category, the, 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 the snack category. Things were either fried or baked. And, and people knew that if it was fried, it tasted great but was very unhealthy. And in that era, if you had a baked potato chip, you just knew it didn't taste good, but it was, it was, it was better for you. And I just figured to myself, gosh, if Frito-Lay, who has an 80 share in the snack aisle, isn't able to come up with a healthy uh, fried chip or a good tasting baked chip, I'm certainly not going to. So um, I, I, I quickly brought on a partner, somebody who had worked with me in one of my earlier ventures, and we really dove into the snack aisle, which was fun because, you know, that get, means you get to, do, to eat lots of snacks. Um, and, uh, and, we, and, we, and we ended up buying a small manufacturing business that, um, that was making rice cakes. And the, and the insight that I had when I went in and I found this plant was that they, they popped the, the ingredients to create the rice cakes. And I found that you could use that same process and equipment to pop a potato chip. Mm-hmm. And my insight, when you sort of ask about where the aha moment came was, I said, okay, pop, that's just a really evocative term. You know, it gives me a way to sort of talk about something that's healthy, healthy-ish without it, you know, still, with, with it still seeming flavorful. And so that was the big insight. And, you know, once we got to that point, it was kind of a straight line to developing what we wanted to do. 
in the case of right rice, you know, same thing. I mean, it came from a personal desire and a need. I wanted to find a healthier rice that tasted better. Um, and in that case, you know, some of the experience I had with pop chips was really helpful in terms of how I could go about packing a little grain of rice with, uh, with vegetables and, and I should say creating a grain of rice. Um, and, and it was, look, it's certainly easier the second time around, you know, you, you, you know, the, you know, when you're doing something and you've done it before, you probably trust your instincts a little bit more and can follow your, you know, follow your gut than you might the first time around. Let me ask a, a question. So I, I didn't actually know that about pop chips, that there was a technological innovation there of sorts in applying the popping technology from rice to, to potatoes that probably gave you a little bit of a barrier, of a competitive barrier, at least for a while. Um, but in, in, cons in consumer and in grocery in particular, brand is, is super important. But I wonder, as you thought about right rice, it strikes me that the barrier to making what is effectively couscous, I mean, or orzo is effectively a pasta, the manufacturing barrier, barrier is probably even lower. How important is brand? And did you just really set out and say, okay, it's all about the brand. We got to build a brand. Well, look, I, I think you take your advantages. You get as many as you can when you build a product and you get out to the market and, you know, you, you got to build, you know, get a terrific product in front of consumers. And at the end of the day, it's a combination of all of those things. Um, the, the, actually, the technology for creating, you know, right rice and our particular you know, approach and formula, because what we found was, I mean, we spent months and thousands and thousands of pounds trying to come up with the right blend of the ingredients. We wanted to come up with something that hit on taste, texture, nutrition, and cooking. Um, so, so there aren't, there, there isn't a lot of manufacturing capability to do that that's out there. Um, and it, and it, and it was, you know, our, I like to think unique blend of how we got to where we're, what we're trying to create, but with both pop chips, in right rice, clearly the branding is super important. I mean, you get just a couple of moments on the shelf to catch someone's eye. You want it to be memorable. I mean, all the things that you've talked about with folks probably, you know, quite a few times now. But branding, branding is very important, and it's probably one of the biggest investments I made, both when I did pop chips and when I did right rice. I mean, I interviewed 25 design firms before I picked a firm called Turner Duckworth to do pop chips because I really knew how important that was. And same thing with right rice. I mean, I knew how important it was and we just overinvested with an incredible firm called IDO who did all of our, all of our design and packaging. You know, I want to underscore that because I, I, you know, I teach product design entrepreneurship and whenever I hear, you know, it's a great example, entrepreneur who knows how important branding is and actually invests in brand right at the beginning at, at unprecedented levels. I mean, most entrepreneurs will make their logo and come in PowerPoint and come up with a brand on the fly. But if you think about it in the long run, that's possibly your most important asset and investing early seems like a really critical success factor. Uh, so I just want to yeah. underscore that. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I couldn't agree more. And I think the businesses I've been involved in over the years have always had kind of that design aspect and the importance of design. I, I, I think it's, I think it's critical and it's part of that experience that you want to deliver to a consumer. So I, I completely agree. Yeah. So let me ask you, you know, it's funny because you drew this stark comparison between pop chips and right rice and that one was the snack aisle and one was the rice aisle. And that, you know, in some ways that seems like a really small difference. They're both in grocery and they're both coming in a little pa package, at least in the broader world of business. But 
Talk to us about the difference between the snack aisle and the rice aisle. I would have guessed that on the one hand, the snack aisle is brutally competitive, but it's also in language of grocery, higher velocity, right, than, than the rice aisle. So talk a little bit about the difference between being in more of a staple and being in snacks. Yeah. Well, first of all, you, you actually answered your question perfectly. Um, I, I mean, so, so first of all, the snack aisle is one of the most competitive aisles in the grocery store. And, and it's, I always laugh when you do something new because sometimes it's good to not know what you don't know. And I really didn't realize that Frito had an 80 share and how incredibly competitive the snack aisle you know, is and, and can be, you know, I mean, there's innovation coming out constantly and just look at the size of the, of, of the snack aisle. So, so a, it's super, it's, you know, super competitive, very hard to get shelf placement. And, um, and at the end of the day, velocities are much higher. I mean, you know, you, you sort of think about how many times you're going to, you know, you're going to eat a bag of potato chips. It's fairly often, which is sort of the good news and the bad news. Then you go to the rice aisle, which is which is pretty staid. Um, the advantage when we dove into the rice aisle, and what I like to talk about is, you know, we wanted to reimagine the rice aisle. We wanted to show people that you could actually have an innovative, healthier, you know, you know, rice-like experience, and you don't have to go to the freezer and buy cauliflower rice. So, so look, it's it's a very staid category it's it's large you know there's obviously a two to three billion dollar category but it has seen very little innovation especially when you compare it to the snack aisle and velocities are lower i mean you're not buying as many big bags of rice and 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 incomparable products as you do in the snack aisle so the advantage for us though was when we launched right rice is we go present to retailers and they just hadn't seen anything innovative like that you know, maybe ever. Um, you know, most of the innovation in the rice aisle was, you know, microwave, minute rice. Yeah. Um, you know, they talked about sprouted rice and brown rice, which which really are only marginally healthier. Um, and by the way, there's nothing unhealthy about rice. Like I still like regular rice. I just eat right rice more often now. Um, you know, it's a it's a terrific product. But you know, brown rice and fried rice, you know, marginally healthier than white rice. And you know, at the end of the day people were really excited to see some, some, some real innovation in the rice aisle. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Today, I'm joined by Keith Belling, who's the founder and CEO of Right Rice, a next generation rice brand, and the co-founder and former chairman and CEO of Pop Chips. Um, Keith, talk to us a little bit about how you, given it is, rice is a relatively low involvement product. As you said, it's a pretty staid aisle. How do you how do you build uh, awareness? How do you build awareness and get trial on the part of consumers? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, look, I like to say the center of the store, the in the rice aisle in particular, has been a blessing and a curse. The blessing is what we just talked about that there really has been so little innovation, so retailers are really receptive. The curse is it's much harder to get people to shop that aisle and the center of the store in particular and to try new things. So it's been you know it's been really important for us to find ways to do it and you know and and look probably one of the great lessons I learned when I did pop chips was you know you you know this, it takes so much time to create a great product, to get the branding and packaging done, and to get it on the store shelf. And when you do that, we're all so excited. And I remember we launched with Safeway when I did, when, when, we, when we launched Pop Chips, it was such a coup and we were so excited. But then you quickly realize you've done all that work and you're at the starting line. I mean, it's really the beginning of the process because as hard as that is to do, 
it's really the beginning. And that, then you've got to get consumers to start buying it, and they like it, and you, you want them to, you know, to keep buying it. So, so in our case, look, it's, you know, some of the learnings from Pop Chips were very helpful. We were, again, going to be a grassroots brand. I mean, we weren't coming out of the gate and going to spend on, you know, crazy things like television and whatnot because we just could never have afforded it. So we had to create a brand and a product people love. And probably the big change from, you know, 2007 when we launched Pop Chips to today is, is social media. It yeah. was just starting when we launched Pop Chips. I mean, we were very early. I'll never forget, you know, Ashton Kutcher and Larry King were having a contest on who could get to a million Twitter followers first. And that was big news. Um, you know, today that it's changed completely. And, you know, and, and so, you know, the ability to leverage social media, um, to really share a brand is, is just dramatically different than it was in 2007. We also, for Pop Chips, used a lot of field marketing where we would actually give out the product and hand it to people and at races and walks and special events. And, you know, it was a really great grassroots way to get product into people's hands, which today is prohibitively expensive to do, number one. And number two, you're not really after a race or a walk and want a bag of, of rice of rice like you would a bag <laughs> of potato chips or or a, or a bottle of smart water. Um, so so it really was important to have a platforms where you could really share the brand. And in our case, um, you know, social media and influencer marketing, it, it's just been, you know, you know, a really, really powerful way to, you know, to get the brand in the hands of consumers. So they'll they'll hopefully try it. And then, and then I'd probably add one other thing that's kind of most recent for us. We just launched in food service. So, so you'll find right rice in the top uh-huh. retailers, like I said, like Whole Foods and, and, um, uh, and Kroger and Sprouts and so on. But at the end of the day, you still got to drive trial and awareness. And food service, we just launched with Kava. It's a terrific chain of 104, 105 restaurants, Mediterranean restaurants. And we've had a number of food service operators call us and Kava was really our first choice and we launched with them and you can now get the right rice, the chicken and right rice bowl or, or have right rice as a base um, in your, in your, in your curated bowl that you make yourself. And for us, it's just a great way to, you know, to share the brand with consumers who might not have seen it yet. And, and that's especially important in today's world with, you know, sort of COVID where, you know, you don't get to do demos, you know, you're not doing much in-store marketing and any sort of experiential stuff is, is next to impossible. So the chance to share it with consumers in, in, in that kind of a format or some of the prepared food things we've done with Territory Foods, for example, and we're about to launch with a couple other partners has been a really powerful way for us to share the brand on a broader basis. So you mentioned, these, these are great insights, I love it. And I, uh, along the way, you mentioned uh, Ashton Kutcher, and he, he is in Silicon Valley, at least, known for being pretty thoughtful and active angel investor, but also off, obviously has his own uh, following more generally. Um, you literally have worked with him. So talk a little bit about the role of, cele- uh, how, how valuable celebrity endorsement involvement has been, and, and w- what advice you would give about that? Sure. Um, so look, so, so first of all, most of the celebrity related things we've done have actually been folks like Ashton who invested in us. And, and, you know, we, we talked about the people we've been lucky enough to have invest 
less about celebrity and more about just really talented entrepreneurs and innovators. Um, when you look at somebody like Ashton, I mean, he's obviously incredibly successful and bright. And, you know, we wouldn't even have time now to talk about the, you know, the really incredible things we did together and how creative he was. Um, and having him involved was terrific. You know, it did start with an investment that he made in the company. And with Right Rights, we have a handful of other folks that are, again, really, you know, successful at building their own brands. You know, Carly Kloss and Molly Sims and Chris Jenner and Diplo, a handful of folks. And again, they're all really talented people in their own right. So we're lucky to have them as, as investors and in helping us build our brand. And what I would say to people is, look, they can be incredibly powerful and impactful. Some are better than others. Just make sure who you ever get involved really, you know, really is aligned with the brand. Um, you know, you just want somebody who really gets the brand and supports the brand and, you know, they'll, they'll do more than you expect as opposed to sometimes, you know, you get folks involved that just, you know, that really dope. Like we had Jillian Michaels, who was a fantastic partner of ours also when yeah. she was doing the biggest loser. And she just, I mean, I'll just never forget how she, how much she over delivered and she just loved the product and the brand. And we discovered her cause she talked about it on TV and I reached out to say, thank you. And the next thing you know, she, they became investors and partners and did stuff with us. Um, and we did, you know, we did a couple larger celebrity kinds of things and, you know, some work better than others. And again, it's all about matching up well with a celebrity around expectations. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder if we can change gears a little bit and talk about your 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 personal journey. You uh, had a predictable start for somebody in food entrepreneurship. Uh, studied food technology in college or something like that. Actually, I'm joking. You you started. Tell us where you started and how yeah, on earth no, you I, ended up in this. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny you say that because people always ask me about about you know how I ended up where I ended up. So look. I, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. I was doing the books for my mother's, um, you know, furniture and antique business when I was in high school. You know, we were all just super entrepreneurial. And my original plan was actually to go into real estate development and everything was on track. My, my brother and I were going to partner and he was going to learn the construction world and I was going to learn real estate law and we would, you know, go on and become great developers. And uh, I started that part of my journey. I went to law school and worked for a terrific law firm in real estate. And then I quickly left after a couple of years and took over a, a small coffee bar chain in San Francisco. And it was really love at first bite. I mean, I, I just really just found how much I really enjoyed being an entrepreneur and I, I had the bug. And as I like to say, I quickly realized I was going to make myself completely unemployable. Yeah, well, that hasn't that served you pretty pretty well, but 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 let's just follow this th thread a little bit uh, further. The other thing, without uh, if I can trust the bio I found online, uh, you and I are about the same age, and I just say we're not uh, spring chickens. So the the, <laughs> the, the the thing the thing that I mean, this what's cool about this, you know, it, it could be that Right Rice is your most successful venture or or pop, you know, both these, and these are relatively late in life. So can you reflect a little bit on being an entrepreneur at, at 60 plus or minus? Yeah. Although I thought we were going to stick with it. We just turned 21, but, um, <laughs> but look, I, look, it's, I, I think age really is a state of mind and it's all about learning. I mean, probably if you ask me the thing I've enjoyed most through my career, everything I 
do builds on each other and is a learning experience. And, and as we get older, you know, we, we do get better and, and I think smarter and more confident. And so for, for me, just, you know, some of the things I did just happened as I, as I got, as I did get older in life and, and, and more confident in what I was able to do and trusting my ideas. I've, I've always been an idea person. And then I've just found as I've gotten sort of later in life, I again, have more confidence in my ideas and, and trust my gut a bit more. So, so I can create things and, you know, look, you also have to have an energy level, which obviously talking to you, you can tell you're still very engaged with what you do. So age is at this point irrelevant. But, but let's just follow up on that energy question because I have at least in the back of my mind this, this fantasy that, that wisdom can substitute for effort in some cases. Have you found that to be true? Is there, is there, are you able to work a little less but be equally or more effective? I think in some ways, yes. Um, I, I don't. I wouldn't say it's just wisdom. I'd also say it's relationships and networks, yeah. right? You probably, you know, earlier in life, I'd probably have to search a lot more to find a solution or a, or a partner or, or or a resource than I do now. Maybe some of that's wisdom. Some of that's just building relationships over time. And yeah, I, I definitely think we get smarter and better. Again, there's things I learned from Pop Chips, but. But look, I would actually tell you in some ways it's the other side of it because expectations are higher when you've done yeah. something well once, you know, like, you know, when I started Pop Chips, we had no idea what we were really creating. We, I had no idea how popular it would become. And, you know, with Right Rice, you know, look, I, I hope we're as popular someday as we were with Pop Chips, but certainly my expectations were higher. So I think that creates a different level of neuroses about it. Yeah, so I, last topic I want to touch on is re related in that I, I would think, at, I don't know, I would think if you have a success like Pop Chips and you've had a, a career long record of success, um, you get to this venture and, and you might choose to finance it yourself, you might choose, it, choose to, to do it with a very small group of partners, but as best I can tell, you actually have pursued a more traditional venture capital uh, financing. Uh, uh, so, and, and that, to me anyway, that adds a huge amount of stress to my life. And I wonder how you think about that trade-off, whether the discipline that outside investors bring to it is worth it, and how you think about the trade-off versus, you know, screw it, I'm gonna do this the way I want and not have to answer to you guys. You know, I look, to, to, to be honest, I, I like working with people and I think there's a lot of value to that, that the right investors can provide. Um, I don't want, nothing's a shortcut in life, but I certainly think it helps a lot. So I think the relationships and the contacts and the support you get from the right investors makes all the difference in the world. I mean, we're still just a year and a half into this, so, so we'll see what happens. But, but I, but I look, it's, it's all a matter of sort of personal choice and preference. And, and again, it, I didn't, I didn't have to struggle with finding investors because of some of the stuff I've done in the past. So it, it wasn't like I had to run around and spend a lot of time finding investors, which I think is, can be one of the hardest things. I mean, none of us like to be told no. Right. I mean, there's nothing harder or worse than that at the end of the day. And, you know, and, and you got to just stay at it. And trust me, I, I like everyone else have spent plenty of time getting no's in my career. Um, but yeah, I, I like having a great group and some of the investors we've got have and just super helpful and I think will give me a better chance to, to building a successful business. Yeah. Well, I have a whole bunch of right rice on order and thanks, <laughs> thanks to Amazon, I'm probably going to get it tomorrow. So I'm going to try that Hainan chicken for sure. Uh, Keith, thanks so much for making the time and for joining us. No, thanks for having me. This was really a treat and uh, lots of good questions.
Thank you All very right. much. All right. So where where can our listeners go to to get some rice and to learn more about and to follow Right Rice? Yeah. So uh, go, go to just uh, at Right Rice on Instagram or rightrice.com on the website. But in terms of stores, we're in all the Whole Foods, um, Kroger stores and banners like, like Ralph's and Fred Meyer and QFC. Um, we're in Sprouts and Wegmans. So we're in lots of, lots of your favorite stores. And uh, be on the lookout. Next year, we're coming out with a new product line that we'll be launching at Whole Foods in the early part of the year that we're really excited about. All right. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you for having me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.